you are listening to Herbs' Video Vault on Anchor.fm. One and all, and welcome back into the video vault. We have a very, very interesting one for you today. I say interesting, that can be used very, very, very loosely. I am referring to 1983's Jaws 3, or also known as Jaws 3D when it was in cinemas, because it actually did get released with the 3D glasses and all those little gimmicks. It didn't quite, it didn't happen on the um, VHS and DVD releases, but apparently if you got the Blu-ray, you can actually view it in 3D, so that makes all of the uh, gimmicks a lot better, actually. But um, look, this is a very, very interesting one. Again, compared to the original Jaws, it's it doesn't hold up. It is, it's bad. Uh, it's not as bad as part four, though. I will give it that. Uh, still very enjoyable, still easy to watch. There are quite, I do have a few nitpicks, but again, it's a possible sequel that had a really, really cool concept on taking place in SeaWorld. So that was something a little bit interesting, something a little different, I'll give it that. It was a unique original storyline. But anyway, sit back, grab your soda, grab your popcorn as we delvage once again for the third time into the water for Jaws 3. But anyway... This is an interesting one, Jaws 3, or Jaws 3D. Um, it's kind of weird because when it was released on home media, it didn't come with any 3D glasses or anything. It was just mainly the 3D in the cinema. But um, that was sort of, the, sort of the gimmick at the time, really. In the 80s, like a lot of the third movies, starting from 1983. Actually, too oddly enough, it's like Friday the Thirteenth Part Three, Amityville Three, you know, Jaws Three—they were all done in sort of really gimmicky 3D, and it just—it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't—it doesn't work. It's a cheap—it was a cheap effect back then. It's an expensive effect now, but um, yeah, back in the early 80s, it just—it just did not work very well at all and those movies kind of suffered a little bit from it but we're not talking about the oh, we are going to talk about some of the effects and whatever else that they use throughout the movie but i'll start with some positives i will start with some positives the idea behind jaws 3 is actually pretty cool it is a really it's a pretty unique idea actually i don't think it's been done since um you know it takes place in sea world a shark movie in a water park oh, wow shark movies in water oh oh no who did not get this reason but uh, no seriously filming setting the movie in uh sea world is actually a really really cool idea instead of like you know just the normal you know amity island sort of you know, normal 
oceanic, I guess, beast movies that we sort of got. So that was a plot. That was a cool. That was pretty cool. Uh, the cast is is a really is a you know it's a really good cast. We've got Dennis Quaid, Bess Armstrong, Leah Thompson in one of the very first uh, feature roles. We all know Leah Thompson from uh, Back to the Future. This is one of the movies where she got her start before she went on to bigger and better things. Lewis, Lewis Gossett Jr. and John Pooch. So, they've got a good cast assembled for this movie as well. Um, they're the positives. <laughs> oh, the negatives. The negatives, the negatives. There are a few. Um, once again, this movie was written by Carl Gottlieb, who, you know, was a co-writer on, or well, co-written by Carl Gottlieb, another co it was a co-writer on you know, the original Jaws and Jaws 2. I believe on a documentary I watched, he was the one that came up with the idea of setting it in SeaWorld, so that, you know, again, original idea, actually, cool, okay. So the plot of this movie is... It's really simple. It's pretty simple. And a lot of it doesn't make sense. But we have a shark that manages to find its way into the SeaWorld Lagoon. Uh, it's following some water skiers that it, want, that it wants to turn into a, into a snack. But, uh, you know, they get away, but it gets trapped inside the park. It does end up making a snack of the technician who is, you know, resetting the gate after the sharks knocked it off its track we see a now grown-up Mike and Sean Brody and, uh, this movie only takes place well is released five years after Jaws 2 now I don't think they would have aged as much in that period of time that Mike looks like he's in his mid-twenties. Yeah, okay, maybe he would have. Maybe not that much, but to an extent. And Sean is in his early twenties, like, like he's only like 21, 22. And is studying in Colorado. Now just think about this for a second. So in, the, in Jaws 2, Sean's probably eight. He goes from eight 21, 22 in the space of five years. If you're wanting to go in the story continuity, it doesn't quite work because it's like, the hell? Like, it works for one, yes, okay. You know, he's 17, 18. He's, you know, 25 or so, yeah, okay. It, it kind of works, but then, then with Sean, it kind of doesn't. We get introduced to Leah Thompson in this um, in the bar area. Now they've they've met at SeaWorld. They're getting ready to have this huge opening of this new attraction, the Undersea Kingdom. And we get introduced to Leah Thompson. They're playing this bar game called Standoff. And the uh, apparently Sean is actually pretty, you know, one of the best at it. And he goes up and has a go, has his turn and pulls a um. <laughs> they, um, 
pulls pulls a, a reamer, a dug reamer. He said, "What do I mean by that?" Wait, just you'll have to wait for another movie review for that, and it'll all make sense. Like, what's he What's he talking about? He, he pulls a reamer, but he he just psychs her out and. They end up, you know, having to, starting to develop a bit of an on-screen relationship, which you know, it's kind of, it's pretty cool. There's good chemistry here between the characters, and we have these coral stealers that sneak into the park and like, oh, you know, we can get some, you know, two hundred bucks for the good stuff, and well, they get taken out by the shark, don't they? Really, really quickly. So the next morning. You know, they're trying to figure out why, you know, the dolphins are acting weird. You know, they don't want to go out into the lagoon like there's some sort of, you know, what's what's causing all these problems? And the, uh, the partner of one of the park workers who has gone missing is under the impression, like, because, you know, they didn't show up home, like, they've, you know, run off and... But, you know, it's kind of hard to run off somewhere when you leave your passport, driver's license, credit cards and everything else so like oh, you know something's quite awry here so they go and have a look in the spanish galleon area of the lagoon just to see you know or well, something's you know happened to this guy he's probably gonna be trapped and you know stop him from floating up and try to get it before anything goes wrong and of course they get attacked by the shark um they managed to get away i think i counted that they used the same shots over the whole part of this minute and a half, two minute scene where they're trying to escape the shark, some of the same shots they used about three times. And okay, it's like, okay, yeah, they're on the dolphins getting away, yep, yeah, mm hmm. They eventually get out of the water, they have this huge discussion about what they're gonna do with the shark. I, it, one thing blew my mind. You would think with Mike Brody, with everything that he's gone, been through in his childhood, uh, he would pretty much instantly recognize a great white shark when he sees one. No, he gets out of the water and just screams, what the hell is that? What the hell is that? It's like, what do you think it is? Really? What do you think it is? You know what it is. It's a freaking shark. It's a great white shark. You that? Dance, and all of a sudden it's like, oh no, no, kill the thing, you know, sharks are murderers, blah, blah. There's this huge debate between uh, Philip, the photographer, Philip Fitzroyce and uh, Mike and Kay about what they're going to do. He wants to, you know, use grenades and blow the shark up and Catherine's like, no, you can't do that. You know, there's not gonna, we're the only place that's gonna have a great white shark alive in captivity. And it's like, okay, well, they end up, you know, tranking the shark and getting it back to some sort of health or so they think. Because next day is opening day. We get the water skiers. We've got all this fun and exciting atmosphere. And the profit-driven character of Calvin Bouchard, played very, very well by Lewis Gossett Jr. Um, decides, you know what? I'm going to risk it. I'm going to put this great, this shark on, you know, public display and people can see it and it's going to boost ticket sales and we're going to make all this money, money, yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, 
again, you know, the biggest enemy is actually money and greed. But the shark, the shark unfortunately dies in the tank in front of all these people. And I don't know if there's like some sort of ESP thing sort of going on because it's actually a baby shark. It's not the, it's not the big shark. It's not, it's not Jaws. <laughs> and so when they're investigating like, you know, why there's a big pressure build up on the farm. So I'll just turn one of them off. Little do they know, like, you know, big shark is, mom and shark is actually in there like hiding out and the combination of not only the pumps turning off but i guess you know, some sort of esp psychic things like my baby's dead attack just um causes all of this chaos like you know people get injured on the in the lagoon it's just chaos, pandemonium, the shark attacks, the undersea kingdom, so people are left, you know, trapped in the, um, in the watertight area. Fitzroy says this idea, you know, well, what do you say we cap, we cage the thing, you know, trap it in the filtration pipe where it hid the first time, and you can get the patch, and the patch weld, and get these people out? Yeah, okay. Cool idea. Cool idea. Um... Unfortunately, it ultimately backfires because once they manage to get the shark trapped in the filtration pipe, the gate is closed behind it, so lock it in. Um, Fitzroyce does not make it out. He gets devoured whole by the shark and... Then like they decide, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna suffocate this thing, let's you know, turn the pumps off and you know, suffocate her. Unfortunately the um, the pin that they've used to lock the gate it doesn't hold. Because you know the sharks put that much force onto the joints and it pops open and the shark is once again free. Now I never sort of picked up on this until I just finished watching uh, Jaws 3 and I think this is sort of where they started having the idea of how can we make a shark more menacing than it already is? I know, we'll have it growl. Ay, 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 ay. I'm pinpointing this is where they started with the whole sharks growl, can growl and roar and now I'm no I'm no expert, but I think um, last time I checked, sharks don't have vocal cords. So how can something roar when it doesn't have vocal cords or lungs, for that matter? Again, I'm no expert. I'm just saying. But anyway, they managed to get the uh, patch on. Everyone gets to safety. Well, everyone trapped in the... Gets to safety. <laughs> the hell was that? Um, and of course, the shark attacks the control center where, you know, some other, some more, the main tasty morsels in this movie are. And Oh boy. 
Oh boy. This is just a horrible sequence, really. Because um, you just see the shark just slowly. Just. It doesn't. There's no swimming. It just floats. It just glides very slowly. And they slow it all down. They slow the whole sequence down, I guess, to try to build up more and more suspension. And. You know, the shark very, very slowly comes in and shatters the glass. Now, again, I'm no expert, but if you're 30, 40 feet underwater, you're not going to have normal window glass, okay? Um, you're probably going to have plexiglass that's probably about, you know, insanely thick. You know, because, you know, stop pressure build up and all that. But, um, and just the shot of the glass shattering is really, really bad because the shark hits the glass. It just stops and we just get this, like, horrible uh, 3D effect. We get a lot of these horrible 3D effects, actually. And they, they linger on them for a little bit too long. Like the opening shark POV scene is swimming along, it eats a fish, and it focuses. And the 3D shot is just of the head just slowly twisting, turning around. You see the mouth open and close. And then when the park worker gets attacked, you know, you see again his arm just lingering on the screen for 15. 20 seconds and oh speaking of said shark of said park worker this this is what this is what we call the dick move this is the dick move so the guy's body is discovered by tourists in the viewing area in the sea kingdom and this one dude <laughs> this one dude pushes this chick against the glass so she's like face to face almost like it's almost like come on kiss it kiss the guy give him a kiss give him a kiss come on it's like oh my god it was so freaking cringeworthy and, and funny at the same time but it, it, it's a dick move dick move banner um so yeah the control room is flooded up a couple of people get away one person gets eaten poor bastard um, I hope you got a decent paycheck because this movie stinks. And they did get some aspects with the shark right this time though. Like we've all seen great white sharks, you know, when they close their mouth, the top jaw just descends down, so you see the gums and everything. So they kind of they did that bit right when the sharks, you know, opening and closing his mouth, you know, they're going for truth and. Anything else? The eyes roll over white. Yep, okay, they did that right. And we have the MacGuffin. We have the shark under this mouth and they spot the arm of Fitzroyce still lodged in its teeth. And this arm just happens to be holding a grenade. And so we man they managed to make a makeshift hook after a few goes, they eventually pull the pin and the whole thing explodes. And oh boy, another bad seat, another bad uh, 3D shot with the teeth of the shark just flying 
at the screen and we see the top and bottom jaw just sort of in the frame. Now, if you're watching this in the cinema with like the 3D glasses and that on, I'm sure it'd look really, really cool. Um, but on home video or DVD or Blu-ray that does not have 3D, ah, it looks so bad. It just looks so cheesy and bad. But, um, yeah. The shark's dead. Everybody's happy. So that, yeah. Jaws 3. Um, it's a passable movie. It really is. Like There are quite a few positives. Yeah. The concept is is unique it's really cool having the shark you know stuck in um, SeaWorld the cast is great they've got some amazing actors it's just the writing the pacing the effects that just let it all fall apart but I will say this it is a, it's better than part 4 uh which we're going to get into Once again, as I said, Jaws 3D, if you're lucky enough to have the Blu-ray that comes with the 3D glasses or saw it in the initial cinema release back in 1983 when it had the 3D run. Now, it's kind of, it's, it was kind of a trend back in the early 80s. Like Every time a third movie of a franchise would come out, it would be in 3D. And all this started in 1983. So Amityville 3D, you had Jaws 3D, you had... Uh, Friday the 13th part 3 was also in 3D but unfortunately compared to today's 3D movies it just looked cheap it looked tacky it was it was a really really horrible gimmick for the time but uh, look Jaws 3 has its faults it has a lot of faults but it is still a it's still a very watchable movie, even if you're just intrigued by the idea of, of the whole movie taking place in SeaWorld, again, really cool original concept, just not very well executed. 
Okay, so that's it for this edition of the Video Vault. Next time around is the worst of them all, Jaws the Revenge. I will see you all next time around. Bye for now. This has been a presentation of JLH Productions.